views and opinions on the following program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Oldies 1079, WOLD, or SRN Communications. It's time now for Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you with your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you're looking to make a positive change this year, learn lifelong tools to reduce stress and be present. If you're stuck and need to remove the blocks that are from success and happiness in the areas of your life, or if you want to get a new perspective on things, well, it's time to talk to Lauren Cardinal. To talk to Lauren, call 732 748 1079. That's 732-748-1079. And now, here's your host, Lauren Cardinal. Good evening. Thank you for joining me for Here's the Thing. I'm Lauren Cardinal, your host. Changing your life starts with changing your mind. Right here, right now. Thank you for listening live now on Oldies 107.9 WOLD, now serving even more of Central Jersey at 95.1 FM. This show, Here's the Thing, is about you and for you. We talk about timely and relevant topics so that you can make positive changes in your life or reduce stress or just gain a new perspective on things. I am a certified life coach and a clinical hypnotherapist, and we talk about what's important to you. So if you want to call in at any point during the show, I'd love to hear about your thoughts or comments, 732-748-1079. If you have something to share, please do. In the meantime, thank you for listening live, and thank you to my podcast listeners. So I want to ask you, how great do you feel with, let's say, a new haircut or maybe some new clothes? What about when you drop a few pounds or even get a new car? The changes are on the outside, but we certainly feel it on the inside as well, right? But which happened first, the change or the feeling? Tonight, we'll be discussing the necessary steps for making lasting change and find out more about whether change happens from the inside out or the outside in, or maybe even both. I will have a special guest joining me in a few minutes to really get the topic going. I'm really excited about it, and I guarantee that this discussion will not be what you're thinking. So again, if you'd like to call in, ask a question, or share a comment, please do so at 732-748-1079. First off, I want to start by uh, bringing to you the, that the show is brought, brought to you by Full Recovery Wellness Center. Full Recovery is located in Fairfield, New Jersey. Whether you're struggling to get clean and sober, whether you're a 12-step old-timer, or a family member of a recovering alcoholic or addict, the Full Recovery Wellness Center offers the tools needed to succeed in recovery and in life. They have a dedicated and caring staff that understands that addiction is complex, and it's a complex illness that has biological genetic, psychological, social, and developmental roots, and their treatment targets the entire range of factors. Their goal is simple. Provide the tools that help people in recovery enjoy a rich and rewarding life. Full Recovery offers outpatient and intensive outpatient treatment programs as well as free family dynamic workshop series. They focus on the individual and the family. 
to integrate recovery principles and spiritual concepts with leadership, relationship, and career skills to guide individuals to a life of contribution and prosperity. For more information, the number is at 973-244-0022. That's 973-244-0022. Or you can find them online at www.fullrecovery.com. That's full-recovery.com. So in last week's show, we discussed reassigning our energy. I gave an overview of my top podcast so far, Positive Communication, which is mostly about listening rather than talking, taking that time to breathe. Uh, we talked about understanding your anger, which really requires for you to attend to yourself. We talked about replenishing energy, unplugging, and paying attention to your own physical responses. And abundance, ultimately knowing that our thoughts create our reality. All of this really is based on the process of going inward. I also discussed a few books, but most notably, E Squared by Pam Grout and Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. And I mention that again specifically because I will be bringing up the book Stealing Fire again tonight, just for a brief moment. So to learn what was discussed on that show, or if you'd like to hear it again, you can find that podcast as well as all of my previous shows podcast on my website, which is www.laurencardinal.com, or you can find them through iTunes. I want to mention just a few more things. In early to mid-November, I will be doing additional training, specifically on past life regression and neonatal regression. I do have training on that, but this is additional training, and it may not be your thing, and that's fine. But I'm here to let you know that should you have an interest in exploring in this way, you can reach out to me now even more so towards the end of November. I'm super excited about it. I've done group sessions of past life regression in the past, and I would love to do them again. So please reach out if that's of interest to you. If you'd like to receive my newsletter, it goes out every week on Thursdays. It's called Here's the Thing on Thursday. Last week, uh, the email was about some of the books that we discussed in the show. And those newsletters always short and sweet, right to the point. One screen, you don't even need to scroll down. It's all right there. Whether I provide highlights from the show or discuss books or a thought or a link to some really great information, if you're interested in getting my newsletter, just reach out to me through my website, the contact page at www.laurencardinal.com, or you can just send me an email, lauren at laurencardinal.com. Great. If you are interested in joining my Facebook group to participate as a private group in the nine do-it-yourself experiments that prove your thoughts create your reality, please reach out to me on my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Lauren Hypnotherapy. This is based on the E-squared book by Pam Grout, and the experiments are based on that they're no cost, they're minimal time, I think one to three days for each of the experiments. And it's really just about being open-minded and focusing on the thoughts. So it should be really interesting and engaging conversation. They have a few people signed up. But before we get started, I thought I'd mention it again in case anyone else would like to join the group. It is a private group in Facebook. In addition to welcoming listeners on 95.1, I'd like to welcome the Sussex County listening audience to the show on WRSK. That's 97.5 FM, 
broadcasting pre-recorded shows from Sussex County Community College on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. So you can the live shows you can find on Monday nights from 78, 7 to 8 p.m. on WOLD Radio. As always, you can listen to the live show on the Internet at WOLDradio.com through the TuneIn Radio app on your Android phone or the free Apple device app. So let's get on with the show. You are listening to Here's the Thing. I am your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach. Tonight, we're talking about changes. Are they from the inside out, the outside in, or both? If you'd like to share a comment or a thought, please call in at 732-748-1079. And as I mentioned just a few moments ago, there's something else in the book called Stealing Fire that sent me in the direction of tonight's topic. In the book, the discussion began by talking about developments in neurobiology. Now, I'm not going to go too in-depth here about neurobiology. I wouldn't have good conversation about it anyway because I'm not an aficionado on it. But of particular interest to me in relation to tonight's topic was the discussion that they brought about uh, starting with Hollywood, the Hollywood stars. And they talked about how Hollywood's movie stars clued the researchers in to the link between motion and emotion. And that neurobiology has given us the tools to map and measure what's happening in our bodies and our brains when we're experiencing both ordinary things and extraordinary things and that the results that they're finding are changing how we think about how we think and I they caught my interest because I was listening to the book on uh, audible it was an audio book and definitely piqued my interest because they were talking about Nicole Kidman on the Academy Awards red carpet and she was in, you know how they dress for the red carpet for the Oscars. It's, you know, the designer dress and all of the jewelry just loaded with diamonds. And But she drew particular attention in 2011 because of her eyebrows. Her eyebrows, you ask? Yes. She could not arch them. She looked like a porcelain doll that just sat on a pine cone. And while she repeatedly has ascribed her beauty to diet, exercise, and sunscreen, in 2013, she finally admitted to an Italian magazine that she did try Botox, but she got out of it, and now that she could finally move her face again, which is kind of critical for an actor, I would think. But researchers started to notice that Botox was doing more than just altering how people looked. It was altering how they felt, too. In study after study, when seriously depressed subjects received Botox injections in their frown lines, they got significant and sometimes instantaneous relief from depression. Interesting, right? Now, the book goes on to say that since the time of the Greeks, Western thinkers have considered the mind the driver that drives the bus and the body is the passenger that comes along for the ride. It's the mind-body split. 
It's a one-way arrow that insists that the head is always in charge and can be trusted to govern our higher aspirations while the body is the vessel that houses our animal instincts and should be strictly controlled. But these Botox studied pointed in the opposite direction. Somehow, changes in the body, freezing the face with a neurotoxin, were producing changes in the mind. The ability to feel sadness or empathy, the horse appeared to be steering the rider. And now we know why. Because our facial expressions are hardwired into our emotions. We can't have one without the other. Botox lessens depression because it pre prevents us from making sad faces. And interestingly, I was speaking with a neighbor of mine last night. She was asking me about the subject for tonight's show. And I was talking about this, and she said, oh, absolutely. She said, I've, I've read that, but I felt it, too, because you can't make the sad face. You can't make the furrowed brow. And she, <laughs> she said, well, if you can't be sad, then I'm, you're just going to be happy. So... It was very, very interesting that that particular experience is from the outside in, or so it seems. I'm also going to add that when the Botox subjects were asked to empathize with other people, to feel their joy or share their sorrow, they simply couldn't. And they couldn't because we feel empathy by mimicking each other's facial expressions. And with the Botox, the mimicry we becomes impossible so we feel almost nothing at all now I wanted to mention that second part so that there isn't thinking that Botox is an answer to depression because it isn't but it's that first part that making an outside change did have an effect on the feelings on the inside and that's what got me thinking about tonight's subject and with that I also thought of a client of mine who has graciously agreed to join me tonight to share his experiences, his journey, and his thoughts throughout his changes and add particular insight to this question of changes inside out or outside in. So I'd like to welcome Michael. Michael, are you there? Good evening, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Michael. Good. How are you? Thank you for Wonderful. joining me. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Oh, great. Thank you. So were you able to hear the first part of the show so far? All of it. And I've furiously taken some notes because even since we talked some time ago about me coming on the show and talking about my experience, just even in the last five minutes in some of the discussions, um, I've had this um, sort of outpouring of additional thoughts. So I'm really looking forward to a robust conversation because I think this is a topic that is just really ripe for, for deconstruction. Excellent. So when we spoke the other day, I mentioned how I thought it would be good for us to start off, but with you having those percolating thoughts based on what the first part of the show discussed, do you want to start there? I would be happy to. And where I would want to go in the first six or seven minutes, you said our thoughts determine our reality, or some variation mm -hmm. of that, twice. And I could not agree with that more, and you know that. And mm -hmm. I believe that I'm walking evidence of that. I think about changes from the mind affecting the body. I think about changes in the body affecting the mind, and not just for me. The story about 
Nicole Kidman and Botox resonated with me because somebody very close to me has a palsy on her facial nerve, and she almost has the opposite problem of Botox, where she can't smile in the traditional sense that you would expect a smile. And it never occurred to me to think that that actually might have an effect directly on her emotions. Certainly, mm. the illness does. Mm-hmm. But, but that nature of it, and, 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 and I've known this for years, more than a decade, and, and that had never occurred to me. So I had this aha moment you know, just a couple of minutes ago, so I'm now turning that over into my head, which is not what we came to talk about, um, <laughs> but, it's re- but it's really, really interesting. It is, and had you ever had a discussion b- with her before about that? We have. Uh, we've had numerous discussions about it, and it's something that she you know, takes pains to, to manage, um, but it's something she'll have to live with her entire life, and, and you know, I'll, I'll never be able to be in her shoes and, and unable uh, as she is to convey a particular set of emotions in the way that we're accustomed as a society to reading people. I know how to read her, so I know when she's happy, but it never occurred to me that her own happiness might be limited by her inability to express it as opposed to physical pain or a reaction right. to appearance. It's Understood. a fascinating question. It is fascinating. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I don't know that I would have gone there either, but it really is interesting. Yeah. So So, I did bring you on because of your journey and my familiarity with your journey. And your experience relates directly with Mm -hmm. every facet of the discussion because your changes were both inside and outside in which gives you a particularly beneficial vantage point for such a discussion. Mm -hmm. I will also add that I asked you on the show particularly because of your keen awareness, your receptivity, and your objectivity of every experience associated with the process and your change. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask if perhaps you could provide some background on your experience so we could really understand why I brought you in regarding this topic. I'd be happy to. And uh, the, the objectivity, um, the, the flip side of that coin is a clinical detachment. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but it's, um, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes. Uh, but for the, for the benefit of the audience, um, I'm 43 years old. I was substantially overweight for most of my life. Uh, back first, second, third grade, even as early as that, I was always the biggest one in the class. Not necessarily morbidly obese, but I was always visibly thicker and certainly never as happy with my body image or, or my physical feeling or my sense of self as others. And I proceeded to gain weight through adulthood, even though I was most often a regular exerciser, I was generally not exhibiting any form of control when it came to snacking or usually actually at mealtimes. Um, I would eat well past the point of getting full in an attempt, <clears throat> excuse me, in an attempt to achieve some sort of satisfaction, achieve some sort of happiness. And, and this went on through my late 30s. Um, you and I reconnected. And we knew each other as acquaintances from a different professional setting. And you and I became reacquainted several years ago. And my feeling at that time not just about my weight, but in so many areas of my life could be characterized as a loss of control, 
Um, I was desperately unhappy. Um, I felt like I simply had no control over food, over myself. I would watch my car go on autopilot into Dunkin' Donuts in the morning as a matter of routine. I feel like I could not control it. I would watch my arm reach across the dinner table for seconds and thirds and fourths, almost like it was disconnected from me. Um, And it really was, to a sense, disconnected because there were so many blocks in between me and my conscious and my subconscious that it really Mm -hmm. wasn't under my control. And through our work together, I was able to, frankly, restore a mind-body connection. And it was with that connection and with that sense of empowerment generally that then some opportunities really arose to say, okay, you now have this control. What do you want to do with it? And I chose to have weight loss surgery, not simply to lose some excess weight, but to change my life. To change my life because I knew I could achieve that level of change because I had the control and the wherewithal to do it. And I knew that I was Mm -hmm. in a spot by that point in our working relationship that if I embarked on this journey, I was going to be wildly successful because I was going to do everything in my power to become the healthy person that I knew, frankly, that I was down below, that I was an exerciser. And this was less about shedding weight and it was less about abandoning something than it was a journey toward something that I felt I always was. And I think that was key. Um, One of the crystallizing moments, and there were a few in my journey, one of the crystallizing moments in the decision to have the surgery, I was on the floor playing with my nephew. He was probably five years old at the time. Um, And I was a little bit out of breath, and I wasn't terribly happy about it. And I realized at that point that I wanted to be around and healthy and physically able to enjoy sitting on the floor and playing with his children if he had them when I was 75 years old. Mm -hmm. And I asked myself, Mm -hmm. and I asked myself, what's it going to take to get to 75 and be that healthy? And those two ends of weight loss and taking a very long view started to crystallize. And I asked myself a series of questions, and it's a very simple question. And the question is, why? And it's an exercise called the five whys. Um, And it resonates a lot with people I've talked to who are after weight loss. And I ask them, why do you want to lose weight? They say, well, I want to be healthier. That's great. But then I start Mm -hmm. acting like an obnoxious toddler, but it's to a purpose. And I say, why? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to be healthy. Why? Well, I want to feel better. Why? Around that fourth or fifth why, if you play the game with intention, you will come to, I certainly came to, a why that was deeply personal and deeply meaningful to me, and it was tangible. And about my fifth why, why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to be healthy? Why do I want to be fit? The answer to that is so I can sit on the floor and play with my nephew's kids when I'm 75. That is a very powerful vision, and it's what sustained me. It's what, yeah, and it's what sustained me through all the hard times. The physical pain of the surgery, the dietary restrictions, um, the momentary deprivation of things we like, milkshakes, hamburgers, etc. Because the why of sitting on the floor and playing with my nephew's children is bigger than the cheeseburger and it's bigger than the milkshake. And everybody has to come to that for themselves. 
Sure. You know, I wanted to ask you a question on that, Michael, because you and I have discussed that the, the five whys is certainly along the lines in the in business practice. But with hypnotherapy, it is a very similar process for those who maybe are less inclined to do that on their own or who need some help. But that is what I do with clients. And mm-hmm. you were able to get there to that point on your own. But it is that emotional part at that point, when you answered that question for yourself, and correct me if I'm wrong, at that point it became an emotional response rather than just, I feel like a cheeseburger or having a cheeseburger. I feel like having a milkshake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once we have that emotional connection, mm-hmm. the changes are more easily made. Mm-hmm. Precisely. And what comes to my mind, I mean, obviously, I work with emotions all of the time in hypnotherapy, but an example that I think people see and hear about and readily experience are the instances with, let's say, women with pregnancy, how they were chain smokers, but for the duration of their pregnancy, they no longer smoked, didn't have a need for it, no interest in it. And after the child is born, may go back to, to smoking, but it was easy to not smoke because of that emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So by answering those five whys, you were able to establish that um, strong of an emotional connection that it made the changes you want to make easier. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, the other thing, when you were talking, the other thing that I wanted to remark on, and please weigh in on this, you mentioned that... Doing our work together, you felt the connection, the mind-body connection. But you also said you, you knew that you could be the person that you wanted to be. I don't know exactly the words that you chose to, to say that. Mm-hmm. But it's like you, you knew what, what, what you were experiencing, what you were seeing was not matching what you knew yourself to be internally. And I think that's an important part of the changes, and I think that's what happens when people are ready to make a change, that there's discord in what they know themselves to be and where they are. Absolutely. I looked in the mirror, and, and the vision of myself physically did not match the vision of myself internally, mentally, emotionally. What's really interesting about that, and this gets to the change from the inside out and the outside in, um, the sequence for me was important. Um, I knew that to make the changes on the outside, I needed to start with the changes on the inside, and that's why hypnosis and hypnotherapy preceded everything, because it gave me that power. And then I underwent the change, and I lost more than 100 pounds. And the changes happened... Gradually, but quickly, um, steadily, I guess is the word, but, but, but quickly to the point where if somebody hadn't seen me for six weeks, they, they occasionally did not recognize me or they were visibly shocked by my appearance. And now I was looking at myself every day in the mirror. What's really interesting to me about that procedure is that I would look at myself every day in the mirror and I got down to well below my goal weight and everybody was complimenting me, complimenting me on my appearance and my looks and my strength. And at no point in the journey 
was I ever 100% satisfied with the way I looked in the mirror? And fortunately, I had enough, as you put it, objectivity, as I put it, clinical detachment, to realize that that's okay and that means something very different. And that means that the weight that I put on what I see in the mirror is less important than a lot of other things, namely how I feel and what I can do. I am much less interested now in what my body looks like than what it can do. And that's made all the difference. Mm-hmm. And it's also the connection that you mentioned for your change, being mm-hmm. able to mm-hmm. play with your nephew's children. That's mm-hmm. more of what mm-hmm. your body can do than necessarily mm-hmm. what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And, Michael, you had mentioned some uh, steps, that there were some steps that you would describe that would were particularly helpful for you. And I want to talk about that, but I'm just looking at the time, and we're just coming up to a break. So let's um, start off with that. Let's take a short break, and we'll start off with those steps after we get back to, from the break. Sound good? Absolutely. Okay, great. We'll be right back. there's a world-class addiction treatment center that accepts most insurance right in Fairfield, New Jersey. The Full Recovery Wellness Center offers substance abuse help with flexible day and evening options. Overcoming addictive behavior is really just the beginning of recovery. The Full Recovery Program offers a holistic approach to improve all areas of your life, from strained relationships to difficult career and financial situations. At Full Recovery, the goal is simple. Provide you the tools needed to enjoy a rich and rewarding life. Full Recovery is now offered its exclusive badge of honor program, a treatment solution designed to meet the unique privacy needs of New Jersey's first responders and police officers. When relapse is not an option, turn to the state licensed professionals at the Full Recovery Wellness Center, located at 87 Fairfield Road in Fairfield. For more information, 973-244-0022 or at www.full-recovery.com. Full Recovery Wellness Center in Fairfield. And now, back to Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you on WOLD. And your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you'd like to speak to Lauren, you can call in at 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. Let's get back to the show with your host, Lauren Cardinal. Hi, and welcome back. We are, tonight we're talking about changes, whether they're from the inside out, the outside in, or maybe both. I have a special guest on tonight. My client, Michael, has, in, has agreed to join us to talk about his experience and his journey, and he shared that he had uh, weight loss surgery. Would we call that? It's the gastric bypass surgery, right, Michael? Correct. And just his experiences along the way. And before the break, we were talking about the steps, that there were steps that Michael followed or found himself uh, realizing. And I just wanted to ask a little bit more about the steps for you, like making the decision for the surgery, just elaborating a little bit more on those Mm -hmm. steps, because I think it could be helpful. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, And I realize I just misspoke. Uh, The surgery I actually had was the gastric sleeve, which is a little bit different than the bypass, but we're not okay. here to get into medicine. The same words, we're not here to get into neurobiology, so thank you for that earlier. 
Um, um, so from the time, from the moment that I decided to have the surgery, you know, I can't say that I followed a distinct map and I had it all planned out. Um, but in retrospect, uh, there were a couple of decisions that I made that turned out to be extremely important, really vital uh, to success. Um, the first one precedes the decision, and it was really clear identification of what was making me unhappy. There are a lot of different ways people can do this. I certainly have been in and out of psychotherapy. Um, hypnosis and hypnotherapy, obviously vital uh, to that, and that really unlocked a lot of what the root causes were about my overeating and restoring my control. Once I had the eating under control and I lost 20 pounds on my own, then I knew that I had something good going and that if I added one more tool, namely weight loss surgery, that I was going to crush this. Um, so the first thing I did was ask myself the question, so what does good look like? What do I want to be? And that's where the five whys came in um, mm -hmm. because that helped me get my vision very tangible. I can see it. I can touch it. It is as clear as day, um, and it anchors me when I need it. And even several years later, I still need it. It's still a challenge every day. Um, the next step uh, was to get advocates, people I trust. Uh, weight loss, it's difficult enough on your own. When you put in a society that's judgmental, um, that doesn't always trust weight loss surgery or, or sometimes think that it's, thinks that it's the easy way out, you, you have to be selective about who you talk. You need, you need a good support system. You have to confide in the people who are going to be at your side, and you need to, frankly, ignore the people who are going to stand in your way. And you have to be calm and prescient enough to be able to identify the difference. And you know what? I'm glad that you brought that up because change, any change, whether it's weight release or any other decision that you make that isn't part of, like you said, with the judgmental society, if it's not part of necessarily the societal norms or fitting within certain parameters that are expectations for you, that having advocates and people that support you mm -hmm. is vital. And sometimes through, through love, I will say that, and wanting for safety for others, there is sabotage out there that is couched as concern. Like, oh, that's going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. Or isn't that difficult? Are you sure you want to do that? And any of those types of questions are out of concern. But it, it has an underscoring purpose. It's the other person's fear. And I just wanted to interject that because whether it's weight reduction, surgery, any other change, that an advocate is really somebody who is there saying, go you. No question about it. Um, and the one word that I would seize on in what you just said is fear, because you're changing not only yourself, that threatens other people. Absolutely. And one of the hardest, that threatens some other people. Mm -hmm. And one mm -hmm. of the hardest things to do when you're embracing a big change, it's hard enough changing yourself. It's harder to recognize the change you're going to inflict on others. Um, generally, that's positive change. Invariably, um, this has the potential to make others feel not as good about themselves, mm -hmm. and that's a shame. But the net 
the net gain to yourself and to the world is better. There's no question about that. Absolutely. Shine your light. Yep. Shining your light isn't Marianne Williamson. Shine your light. By shining your light as brightly as possible, it just allows others to do the same. Don't yeah. shrink because of somebody else's insecurities. Absolutely. And, and that actually leads me to the last step, uh, which is commitment. Um, weight loss surgery is not a casual commitment. If you're covered by insurance, they will require six months of documented dieting, weigh-ins. You really got to be committed to it. It's a journey. They want you to lose some weight. They want you to build healthy habits beforehand, and medically, it makes 100% sense. You have to believe in yourself in that six months, and you really, if you're going to have weight loss surgery, believe in yourself in the two weeks prior to surgery, because that particular aspect and timing is probably the most difficult, and maybe the first two weeks post-op for for medical reasons I won't get into. We're not here for that, but you have to have that rock-solid belief that what you're doing is best for you, and also best for the ones around you, you're not usually doing something like this just for yourself. I certainly wasn't. I was uh, thinking about others the entire time, namely my nephew and my niece, um, certainly my wife, certainly the rest of my family and friends, because I knew I would be happier and healthier and more able to enjoy their company and be a light in their lives as well as mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And would you say that you felt the support throughout all of the changes that you experience? No. I'll be flat out honest with that, no. I certainly had all of the support going into the surgery, but Mm -hmm. I do believe that in the process of losing 100 pounds in nine months through rigorous adherence to diet and to a dedicated exercise regimen, I became a cyclist. I became a gym rat, not to the point of obsession, but to the point of extremely healthy. That was threatening to others, and I had people coming up to me going, you look a little thin, you look a little gaunt. And I knew from my blood work and I knew from my weight that I was 100% healthy. And I had the strength Mm -hmm. not to even engage and not to respond toxically, but to respond, thank you for your concern, I appreciate it, I'm doing fine, thanks, and let it go. Um, that might have been my biggest accomplishment um, was to That's recognize great. when yeah. somebody was not providing support and just let it pass through and not let it sink in. Right, because it's not personal. It's about exactly. them. It's not about you. It's about them. Yep, exactly. And great perspective to have. And, you know, going through the process when I was talking in the beginning of the show and introducing you about your um, keen awareness and your receptivity and objectivity, it was through that process that you went went through with, with the exercise and monitoring every step along the way that it was of particular interest to me in relation to this topic because it wasn't... It was your commitment. It wasn't making the change and then letting things happen. Mm-hmm. It was full-on, 100% dedicated mm-hmm. commitment. Mm-hmm. And with that, your thoughts were changing your reality. There's no question about that. The hard moments on the elliptical or in the weight room or at the dinner table were long-term, and I would think to myself, various takes on you will be rewarded, for example, 
Um, I should add that I was going through this weight loss at a time where I was in between jobs and, and struggling to find a job in my field. Um, I had every potential reason to backslide. Um, you had to stick through it. I had to, to push on through and, and give myself positive self-talk and positive affirmation. You will be rewarded. This is for the good. Here's what you're going to accomplish. And I had a vision of me successful in a job, successful in my body, growing old gracefully and in really good health. And it was the concrete nature of that vision and, and those thoughts and controlling those thoughts that kept me grounded and kept me on, on the road to success. I could not understand. I know people who have undergone surgery and said, I just want to lose 25 pounds. And I never understood that trade-off because there's so much work that goes into having the surgery and a decent amount of pain. It's, it's not the worst pain I've ever endured, but um, it certainly wasn't worth a 25-pound weight loss. And I've never entirely understood that. If it works for them and they're happy, great, but I don't believe that they are. Mm. You, you mentioned something about your thoughts, your visualizations. How often did you engage in thinking about your future, who you wanted to be, and visualizing that? More than once a day. And okay. honestly, I still do. This is going to be my particular lifelong challenge. Clearly, I have been dealt a genetic hand of cards um, that encourages me to put on weight. And I've done everything in my control to manage that. And, and I'm extremely happy that I've done that. Uh, but just because I've gotten my weight down to a healthy number doesn't mean that the battle's over. I can't just pack it in now. Um, every day is a challenge. I, like every other weight loss surgery patient out there, know all the various ways to defeat the gastric sleeve. Um, I could drink with meals. I could enjoy sodas. I could eat ice cream. I won't say I haven't eaten ice cream since the surgery. I have. But when I start putting on a few pounds, I know what I need to do to bring myself back to that set point. And it starts with that vision. It's the same one. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, it works for me, and I can't reinforce the importance of finding something that's deeply meaningful to you as a person. If you want to achieve lasting change, it's not, there's an aspect of change that is loss, right? And we're going to mourn that. But if it's a journey, then there has to be a metaphorical light at the end of the tunnel. There needs to be a concrete vision at the end. Maybe you'll never get there. Maybe it's a continual journey. But there needs to be a forward-looking target for you mm -hmm. to hit. Otherwise, you're running away mm -hmm. from something, and that never works in the long term. We know that. Well, you know, and you brought up something interesting that I wanted to, to mention. You were talking about the, uh, the pain or um, the loss of letting something go. Mm -hmm. the, I'm not sure of the words that you just chose, but that's what's in my mind. And what came to my mind is that everything is a trade-off. Mm -hmm. If you want to exercise more, mm -hmm. maybe it means less time reading the paper or less time sleeping. If you want to eat healthier, maybe it is mm -hmm. giving up mm -hmm. that enjoyment of those sweets. Everything is a trade-off, but that doesn't mean, as you said, that what you're receiving isn't more beneficial than what you're losing. That is why mm -hmm. we make change, right? Mm -hmm. Completely. And you just brought up something interesting because one of the things I lost... I didn't realize it until I was halfway through my weight loss, and this gets into 
what are the changes on the outside that affect your thoughts on the inside, and how does change from the outside in lead to more changes from the inside out? I am, believe it or not, a confirmed introvert. I would be happy most often walking through the world relatively invisible. I prefer quiet and calm and peace and serenity. And when you're like me and you're five foot eight and you're 287 pounds, society tends not to acknowledge you. You're walking through the grocery store. Nobody really turns an eye. Nobody strikes up a conversation. And I didn't realize how much I liked that until I lost 60 or 70 pounds. And then people in the grocery store or in the mall would just start casually commenting to me in the line. And I realized this is kind of how the world works for people who are not morbidly obese. And I wasn't sure how I felt with that. I'm still not sure. I've, I've become used to it. What did I lose? I lost my anonymity because now people want to engage with me on a way they did not before. I've learned how to deal with that. I totally did not expect that when I lost weight. I expected a lot of things. That was not one of them. So I had to learn how to deal with that. Um, that was one of the biggest surprises about the weight loss was how engaging the world is. And for somebody who didn't really always want to engage with the world, how was I going to cope with that? Interesting. Very interesting, and of particular interest to me because one of the topics I'll be discussing in the future is introverts versus extroverts and how to be okay with wherever you are on that spectrum. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Fascinating. One of the things that I know you and I have discussed before that I wanted to bring up tonight because I thought this was fascinating as well. During your journey, you had mentioned to me, that when you saw people that you hadn't seen in a while, their reaction was so gratifying, so rewarding, and that when you were meeting people for the first time, you weren't getting that same reaction, that yeah. same response, let's say. And how that plays in with your identity. So talk to me a little bit more about that. That's another fascinating piece. Um, so I mentioned earlier that when I went through the surgery and the weight loss, I was between jobs. I, I found a new fantastic job uh, about a year, 13 months after the surgery, uh, and I was pretty much at the lowest weight. So think about a new job for a minute. You go into an office. At the time, there were 65 people in the office, and you're making a first impression with almost all of them. There were a few people who knew me when I was overweight, but most of them did not. So you're making a whole sea of first impressions. And it was obvious to me how different those impressions were in terms of, terms of the assumptions of my capabilities. Um, sometimes I felt like a little bit like, a, like an imposter. I felt like I couldn't surprise anybody. Um, on the other hand, expectations were higher, so I was given more opportunities. Um, the entire... You couldn't surprise people in what way? Sorry for the interruption. No. Uh, positively, it was, it, expectations were higher, so you can't over-deliver. One of the nice things, one of the very few nice things about being that much overweight is that when you deliver something with a great deal of energy, um, people are generally surprised and, and, and generally blown away. Um, when you come in and you deliver something... Uh, looking like a lean, mean fighting machine. Well, that's just him. That's Tony Robbins, right? So um, mm -hmm. that's what I mean about 
in terms of surprise, mm-hmm. if you're getting up in, in, in front of an audience, for example, um, expectations uh, for somebody who looked like I did are much lower than somebody who looks skinny and mean. Not that I'm, uh, you know, a machine right now, but <laughs> um, so th- that's what I mean. The, the expectations were higher, and, and that's good and bad because I like being challenged at work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how does that play in with your identity? And the the process that you went through to change in accordance with that, oh, or that's a great let's question. say in relation to that, yeah. Um, the the neat thing about this kind of massive change, you know, I I said you need a vision, and that vision is at age seventy five. But I certainly did not have a vision of what that identity would be, and I'm not sure that you can. But one of the fun things was kind of trying on identities. It was a little bit like being a teenager again being able to try on different identities and personalities and see what the responses were like between the new body and the new job. Think about how much change I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way to do that... And I that, think that that can work for a variety of changes. Yeah, completely. Um, I had to look for the opportunity. I had to look for the fun, say, who can I be? Certainly there, there's fun in this kind of massive change about going out and buying a whole new wardrobe. So I got to experiment with checks and plaids and stripes, not all at the same time, mind you. Um, but interesting, <laughs> I had to determine for myself what kind of style am I, because I had you know, just kind of before worn solids and, and general cover-ups and, and, and really trying to look as least bad as possible. You know, now I have the opportunity to figure out, well, who am I? What kind of sight image do I want to put out in the world? Now that people are talking to me, what's my personal brand? I really got to think about these things again. And I think it's really okay not to have the answer right away. I don't think you can have that answer before you undergo it. And I guarantee you I went through a couple of iterations, and I'm probably still going through versions of who am I. And I think we're all going through that. I don't think you need change to be able to say, I'm not certain of my identity. Who am I? I want to try this. And that's where small change comes in. If it doesn't feel right, try something else. I'm still doing that now. A lot of that's related, related to my change, and a lot of it's not. Gotcha, gotcha. So, for your overall experience, mm-hmm. how do you believe that someone would know whether they could benefit from assistance in processing their changes? I mean, you knew because you were observant, you were aware. We knew each other. Uh, but whether it's hypnotherapy or coaching mm-hmm. or psychotherapy or any other form, based on what you went through and thinking of any change. I mean, your change was specific to this particular surgery, but any change. From your experience, what would you say would be indications that somebody could benefit from outside assistance? I think there are two red flags. Uh, there, There were for me. One is that feeling I talked about earlier about loss of control. If your car is on autopilot to Dunkin' Donuts any, every morning, and you know it's not good for you, but you can't seem to not do it. Uh, and, and it may not be food if it's a cigarette, uh, if, it's, if it's overeating, if it's sex, if it's drugs, if it's an addiction, if it's gambling. Um, if you feel like you're out of control when you walk into a casino or do anything and you know deep down the activity isn't good for you, um, that's a red flag in terms of the loss of control. Uh, thinking, believing that you're really that disconnected as to, as to, be, as to be out of control was very, very scary. 
Um, and at least the second flag, which is just thinking, I need help. That four-letter word, how do I know I need assistance? I felt like I couldn't do it myself. I needed help. It was powerless, mm-hmm. and it was sad, and there were tears. And it's okay to admit we need help. We can't get through this world alone. So I think it was something very deep and very primal that suggested, okay, I need assistance, but it wasn't even a matter of, oh, I need to go get therapy or I need to get hypnosis. It was something much more primal and deeper than that. It was, I need help. I don't even know what kind of help it is, but um, I, I, I need help. Well, you know, and even with that, there is a change that's happening inside. The thoughts are changing, and just by that thought of, I need help... It changes your receptivity to what's out there in mm-hmm. order to know and resonate when the type of help that you need is in your presence. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've all heard it said that you have to hit rock bottom before you, can, before you can get up. I don't necessarily believe that. I think what they mean is you need to get to the point at which the voice that says you need help or lost control outweighs the kind of hit you're getting from whatever self-destructive behavior you're engaging in. Sure. That may or may not be and, rock you know, bottom. You the don't only have to be time... sleeping in a gutter to get to that point. Right. I, and I agree. Because the only time change happens, I mean, we talk about this in the coaching world, the only time change happens is when the fear of the change can't possibly be worse than what you're experiencing. Because oh, there so is true. fear in change. So, so let me ask you, Michael, in summary, your thoughts. Outside in or inside out? Oh, I think it's absolutely both. I think they're related. I think sequence is important. I think in the, in the example we talked about earlier where uh, facial nerve palsy, that's an outside-in change you can't control, and that results in some inside-out. But I think for, for those of us who are, who, are, who are talking with you, who are interested in this, they're probably interested in enacting some change in themselves. What worked for me and what I would suggest to anybody, out, anybody else out there is to enact Big change on the outside, weight loss, um, an extreme cosmetic procedure, something like that. Start from the inside out and do the preparation that you need to do. Let the outside in change happen when you're ready for it and then be prepared for more inside out change because that physical change is going to engender more change. I think what will happen is that you will become more comfortable with change generally and you will see that it starts to become a circle inside out, outside in, inside out. Um, yeah, it's it a seemed nice like that's what you were describing. And achieving, the, and achieving that flow is, is undescribable. That's a real high. Fantastic. Oh, and I love how you linked into flow, which is what we were talking about last week. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, thank you very much for, for joining me, for sharing your journey and a bit of your life with me, with us. I appreciate your openness for all of the illuminating content and for the dialogue that we were able to to share tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And, it, Michael, you may know this already, but my listeners know that I like to end with a quote. And this quote is, if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. If broken by an inside force, life begins. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Full Recovery Wellness Center. I'd like to thank Michael again for joining us tonight, and I'd like to thank you for joining me. So set your calendar and tune in next week live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't want to miss the show. Until then, keep it light, smile, and enjoy. Good night.
there's a world-class addiction treatment center that accepts most insurance right in Fairfield, New Jersey, the Full Recovery Wellness Center offers substance abuse help with flexible day and evening options. Overcoming addictive behavior is really just the beginning of recovery. The Full Recovery Program offers a holistic approach to improve all areas of your life, from strained relationships to difficult career and financial situations. At Full Recovery, the goal is simple. Provide you the tools needed to enjoy a rich and rewarding life. Full Recovery is now offering its exclusive badge of honor program, a treatment solution designed to meet the unique privacy needs of New Jersey's first responders and police officers. When relapse is not an option, turn to the state licensed professionals at the Full Recovery Wellness Center, located at 87 Fairfield Road in Fairfield. For more information, 973-244-0022 or at www.full-recovery.com. Full Recovery Wellness Center in Fairfield. The views and opinions heard on the preceding program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Oldies 1079 WOLD or SRN Communications.